We were actually really excited. It was very different from the traditional charity requests, and it actually set us and our industry a challenge. So philosophically, the trustees were saying, look, we have these financial obligations that we need to meet, and we have to do that in a prudent and risk-controlled manner. But we also have excess financial capital that we don't need today. And how can we actually use that in practice to amplify the impact that we're having on the ground in the skills and the jobs market? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the EdTech podcast. In this episode, we chart an exciting story which starts back in the mid-2000s and culminates this week with UK-facing vocational learning and technology charity UFI Voctech Trust announcing the investment of its £50 million-plus assets using the UN Sustainable Development Goals to support the best thematic alignment of investment with UFI's mission, whilst also meeting the charity's financial commitments. Credit Suisse has been appointed as investment service provider after a tendering process which engaged 100 potential providers. So, what's this all about, I hear you ask, and what's it got to do with me? Well, you know all those campaigns to divest out of fossil fuel investments and the huge positive impact this has had for new ecosystems around climate change? Imagine if educational charities took the same approach by proactively investing their funds into more mission-aligned ways with the requisite step change in funding and signalling this would unlock for educational opportunity and social good. This episode is all about sharing how UFI Voctech Trust has achieved this change, announcing a new investment policy and aligning all of its investment assets with the UFI purpose and mission of championing the power of technology to improve skills for work. But beyond UFI Voctech Trust, what does this mean for other philanthropic organisations, entrepreneurs and even learners in the sector? And how did UFI Voctech Trust take the leap from initial idea to announcement? In this episode, we explore what this shift in philanthropic approach means and how a holistic investment framework across all assets – grants, venture investment and investment capital can support vocational educational technology and positive impact. And if you're listening in and want to sit down and find out more, there are also two written case studies which run alongside this episode, where you can find out the why and the how of what UFI and Credit Suisse have been up to. But to start at the beginning... Let's meet our guests and find out about shared vision around charitable purpose and capital structure. To kick off, here's Joe Ludlow, Impact Investment Director at UFI Ventures. So Joe, this is really exciting because we can finally talk about the work that you've been doing to align UFI's fund more closely with its mission and all that that entails. So I guess my first question to you is, you know, that you've been leading that work on UFI's side and whether you could sort of explain the thinking around that decision, how it came about in the earliest stages and why it's significant for both UFI, but also the wider 
edtech sector as well? I think most people will be kind of familiar with the idea that a charitable foundation has a pot of money that it invests for financial return and then it uses those financial returns to fund grants and its and other activities that are about its charitable purpose. Um, and UFI does do that. So, so we have a fund and um, our grants and our operating costs um, are funded from the returns from that fund. But we have always felt that given the scale of the challenges that are faced in vocational education in the UK and the opportunity to use technology to try and address some of those challenges, but the amount of money that we generate in returns from our fund is not as great as the amount of money that we're investing overall. And how can, we wanted to think through how can we get more of our total money working towards our mission? Because we really wanted to get the maximum amount of money trying to create change in Voctech at work. So what we felt was in 2019, when we started this process, that the field of impact investing was now really starting to mature and it might be possible for us to take our money that was invested for financial return only and find some investment products that not only delivered financial return but also addressed issues and supported positive change in line with our mission. So that was the concept and and where we've got to and and why um, I think this is interesting both for other people in the kind of foundation world and other people in the edtech and voctech world is that I think if you look at UFI now you can now see an organization that gives grants to at the earliest stages to support innovation in voctech um, makes venture investments in promising ventures and enterprises that are beginning to scale their work and invests its core capital in investment funds and large companies around the world all of whom fit within a framework that contributes to our mission. So you've got everything from the the first spark of an idea through to the largest companies in the world addressing our mission in in the UFI portfolio. So my name is Helen MacDonald. I've had a long career in financial markets, and I now work in a very exciting function at Credit Suisse, which focuses on delivering sustainable and impact investing solutions to our clients. So I sit within our private bank, where we're very privileged to advise many of the UK's wealthy family offices, as well as individuals and, of course, charitable organisations. So my name is James Gifford. I'm head of Impact Advisory. So like Helen, I also work with clients. I have a global role and lead a lot of the trainings within the bank to ensure that our relationship managers are on top of this issue. And also I participate in in conferences and write opinion pieces and write thought leadership pieces like the one I wrote with Kirill on EdTech, which we'll talk about. My name is Kirill Pushkin and I work in yet another part of Credit Suisse, which is called Asset Management, where I am a senior fund manager or portfolio manager. I work in a thematic equities team where I'm responsible for the edutainment and edtech theme. It's Monday and I'm delighted to be here with Paul Blythe, an impact investor. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. In terms of my specific role, I was brought in at the point where UFI had said, yes, we want to invest our capital to meet our financial needs, but as much as possible once our financial needs are met to invest alongside our mission. 
and they had redrafted their investment policy. And I was brought in at a point where that was being finalized and they were ready to go out to the marketplace to find what they describe as investment service providers to help them achieve that goal. So it was reviewing the investment policy and then preparing what is referred to as a request for a proposal or invitation to tender is often the, the phrase is used ITT RFP but essentially it's a is an opportunity for investment service providers so asset managers consultants wealth managers and the like to bid for the work to invest UFI's capital according to their criteria so that's when i was brought in and my role essentially was to as i say look at the investment policy help draft the request for proposals and then run the what's referred to often as the tender process run the process from that point where UFI sends out those materials to the point where the trustee board and the investment committee choose and appoint their investment services provider This podcast episode is all about UFI's work to go beyond grant investing and venture investing and align its fund more closely with its mission. So what I'm really interested to share with our listeners is obviously Credit Suisse's part in this process, how you all got involved with this opportunity to partner with UFI. I'll kick off with that. We were actually really excited to be asked to tender for UFI's business. It was very different from the traditional charity requests, and it actually set us and our industry a challenge. So philosophically, the trustees were saying, look, we have these financial obligations that we need to meet, and we have to do that in a prudent and risk-controlled manner. But we also have excess financial capital that we don't need today. And how can we actually use that in practice to amplify the impact that we're having on the ground in the skills and the jobs market? So how can we find a way to join those dots between our grant making and our venture initiative? And what we were able to do at Credit Suisse was include some liquid investments in the portfolio that are there to generate return, but they were centered on the things that matter to UFI. So things like education technology, jobs growth, reducing inequality in the workforce, and so on. And it was quite a complex process, but Ultimately, what we were able to do was take UFI from a position of zero mission alignment in its investment portfolio to making its mainstream investments just much more relevant to its purpose. For all of you, obviously, this has been um, a really interesting sort of collaboration in and of itself. But what are the wider implications? Is, is this about sort of starting to create case studies where other charitable organisations can say, actually, this isn't as risky as perhaps we thought. And actually, it makes lots more sense to align our, our funds in a way that makes sense for our goals and actually sort of take that leap as well. Do you, do you kind of foresee more organisations doing that? Yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of interest at the moment in, in thinking about philanthropic capital in a very different way. If we look at the acute shortage of capital around the world relative to need in areas like education, like social inequality, access to healthcare, in climate mitigation, all of us, whether you know governments, private sector and the charitable sector, are trying to think about how we can use our capital more effectively 
to meet some of these needs and pursue the you know the leveling up agenda that is so important in most countries around the world so having case studies like this in the philanthropic sector of how a charity has gone about using its capital in a in a, in a more efficient way, in a very imaginative way, I think that will help to give comfort to some other organizations who think, yeah, we could do the same thing in a different field. You know, the mandate, it was almost like there's a maths question, okay, and then there's a mission question. Now, what normally happens in these mandate situations is the asset owner, so the foundation, the trust, or whomever, or the pension fund, will say, we would like you to beat this benchmark, this, this financial benchmark. We would like you to provide us inflation plus 4% return. We would like you to meet the very, whatever the target. So that's how the mandate is structured. It says, this is a bit technical, but it's really important difference. So the mandate essentially is to say, beat this number. And the entire, the culture of investment management is all about good, better, best, i.e. I'm better than the next guy. I can beat that. I'm the best. That's what it, that's how that whole process works. Okay. So to illustrate that, if the market is down 60% and as investment manager, you're down 50%, you feel pretty good. And you literally look your clients in the eye and say, Hey, I've lost half of your money, but I've lost less than everybody else. And that's kind of okay. Now think about how nuts that is. It's absolutely, similarly, if, you, if your investment manager said, I've, I've made a 20% return for you and the market's made 30%, I look awful. Think about how nuts that is. So what UFI's done, which is what, to be honest, philosophically, everybody should do is to say, what's enough, right? So UFI said, this is the, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't like an easy, it was a very challenging financial question to be answered because they needed you know quite considerable capital growth i meaning they needed decent returns but they said this is what we need to run our organization from a financial perspective to achieve our mission you go about answering that exam question and then once you've answered that exam question take the capital and align it as much as possible around our missionary goals as defined by the sustainable development goals now, that may not sound radical. It is radical. And it's cool and it's different and it's how the world should be. Because if, the, if, the, if, the, if you took all the endowment capital in the world and you did it that way, which seems patently obvious to the person, if you asked them like a 10-year-old, what would you do? They'd just say, do that, right? I mean, I'm all for competition. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't. But I would rather people compete on, how, on the biggest impact they can have so, now we know why this is exciting, how did it come about? What we did was begin to explore what different impact investing products were now available and might be suitable to us. And then we had a trustees away day where we talked in depth about what impact investing might mean for UFI. Got really got all of the board engaged in this relatively new field and and what it means and what it doesn't mean you know reflect back to actually the idea that you can invest and achieve appropriate financial returns with a lens of what is good for society what is good for the environment applied to those investments 
is still pretty new and can feel pretty risky. So it's very important for us to work with the board to help them understand what this field's all about and to see a whole range of examples of, of what it might look like. That process developed into us using the UN Sustainable Development Goals as a way of classifying the types of impact that we felt were closer to the UFI mission and further away from the UFI mission. And we were then able to take that as the basis of, a, of a, an exercise we went through in, in, in building a new investment policy that said, we've got to achieve our financial goals but we want to achieve our financial goals with our money working in places that are as close to our mission as we possibly can. And what I would say from a perspective of UFI and, and the board, we see ourselves as an institution that's about supporting innovation and innovation in VocTech. And this is really about supporting an innovation in VocTech. Um, it, it's not about creating a new technology product that's going to help vocational education, but it's about creating a new way of investing in VocTech that delivers our financial goals and advances our mission. And, and that spirit of innovation, the board very much supported. So UFI has been on a journey for several years, four or five years, looking at how to invest its capital alongside its mission. It did some great work in terms of the process the board went through to help coalesce around how they would invest their money from a mission perspective. I think that's a really important thing. It's a model which I think many can follow. So why UFI went with Credit Suisse? I mean, I'm not a decision maker here. I'm, I'm the professional helping the investment committee and the board. I think on balance, there are a number of things I could highlight in the Credit Suisse offer. One was they have a specialist fund, which is focused on, I think the, the correct phrase is edutainment. And that is rare, okay? So it's rare to be able to work with an asset manager who has a specialist fund with a fund manager, that's all they do. They focus on this area. So that was really exciting. The other thing differentiated, I think, for Credit Suisse is their leader in this space is a, is a, is a guy called uh, James Gifford. And James has been doing this sort of work for many, many years. And so there are a lot of, if you look at the investment management industry, they, they will all say they have impact investment experts you know they have people who maybe done a little bit of it or read a bit about it but james was at unpri for many many years he was then at ubs helping them develop their propositions i think he's a visiting professor at harvard on this subject he's published on it he's very thoughtful about you know he's just an, he's one of the world experts on impact investing and it makes an enormous difference when you're interviewing asset managers and you start talking to them about impact and what it really means and how do you do it and what your experience is. I mean, I'm sure you find that in your, your work, Sophie. You know, you meet people, they just really know their stuff. Mm-hmm. And James really knows his stuff. So Helen, James and Kirill, if you sort of remember back to the start of this process, how did you go about approaching this work with UFI? And what do you remember about the process as well? Well, I guess the first thing that was interesting about this mandate was there were really two parts of it. You know, the first part was that the trustees had some very clear financial obligations that they needed to meet and that those had to be achieved in a very prudent and risk-controlled manner. But they also wanted to deliver social impact. 
um, and invested in businesses that were very closely aligned to their mission of yeah, upskilling and reskilling the UK workforce and encouraging growth in the jobs market. So we really had to you know, divide the opportunity into those two parts. And the first piece was very much centered on in delivering the financial returns in as cost-effective and, and risk-effective way as we could. The second piece, we were able to think about more imaginatively and pull out some different tools in our armory. So we looked at all of the strategies that were available and we had already mapped them against the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And then we worked with UFI to identify the priorities. And then we recognized, obviously, that education and education technology was the most important and there was a strategy around that. So that was obviously going to be weighted uh, the highest of the other SDGs. And there were some SDGs, um, perhaps more on the environmental side, that were lower priority. And so those were weighted a bit lower. That said, all of the strategies were related to SDGs. So they were thematic and they were uh, really trying to address the world's problems, but weighted based on UFI's uh, real purpose and mission. So when you then put all that together, what we wanted to achieve for UFI was a holistic application of their capital. So on the one end, they had their grants-making business. Then they had a, a lower-risk piece of the portfolio that was very much designed to meeting financial needs, wasn't able to deliver quite so much impact, slightly more risk in the liquid investment piece, which was very thematic and very much aligned to impact. And then at the far end is UFI's venture business, so high-risk, extremely high social impact. So you can see along the way, we've created a spectrum of capital here with different dimensions of risk, return and impact. And just finally, did working on this, did you have to sort of rearrange any of your own internal working practices or how you'd usually come to this kind of problem? I guess we were able to bring together the enormous set of resources that is available in a, in a large investment bank um, such as Credit Suisse. So we had a very big team working on this, you know, working on the modeling of the portfolio, calling on our experts such as Kirill in the ed tech space, calling on James as an impact investment expert, and you know, many others, including those in our corporate social responsibility department, to give us additional color on the whole topic of future skills, because this has been a very important part of Credit Suisse's own CSR business for many, many years. Future Skills is one of the three pillars in our Credit Suisse EMEA Foundation. And we actually work with 57 partners around the world, 11 in the UK, to help disadvantaged people into the workforce. So their insights into what UFI was trying to achieve also helped us, I think, at the end of the day, to deliver the right kind of strategy for the client. Kirill, if we come on to you, so I've, I've just had the great pleasure of reading Learning to Earning, the reports about innovations in the adult education space, what you're seeing. So as someone responsible for Credit Suisse's thematic funds, how important was that, do you think, in terms of mission alignment? Well, I'm sure it was very important uh, for UFI and it is 
very important for many of our other investors. So specifically, uh, what we're trying to do is invest for profit, but at the same time have an impact and try to align funds or you know certain funds specifically with UN Sustainable Development Goals, one of which is specifically talking about education, access to education, vocational training. And basically what we're trying to do is find a way how to implement that through our investments. So, for example, if you look at UN SDG number four, talking about access to education, to me it has two components. First component is how do you improve access to education by removing one obstacle, which is high costs. So how do you reduce costs of education? And second, how do you improve access to education to those people who can't otherwise get it, for example, because they are in remote areas? And both of those things can be solved through technology, which is why there is a particular focus in one of our themes on the ed tech or education technology, because it it helps you to deliver both both of those things. In addition, if you're talking today about changing education environment, you could see that the point that I was making about high costs today almost make education very poor return on investment, meaning that it's too expensive and you're not guaranteed a job. So recently, students have recognized this, employers have recognized this, and companies who provide those services also are recognizing it. And if you look at the education landscape, you could notice that anything that links to providing shorter courses or anything other than your standard degree tends to grow today faster than your traditional university degrees. And that's specifically what we were writing about in this piece that you have seen called learning to earning. The whole idea of reducing, making uh, the process of getting job cheaper and faster. Yes, just to your point about high costs, I think one of the things that jumped out to me was that the cost of higher education has risen uh, by four times the rate of inflation in the US, which is uh, quite interesting. That's right. The inflation in education is actually in the US even exceeding the healthcare inflation, which is another notoriously inefficient sector. And it's, as I say, it's gotten to the point when education is now becoming prohibitively expensive for for many. And even if you are lucky enough to afford education in the US, for example, you may end up with an average more than 30,000 debt upon graduation. And only just over 40% of those graduates actually will have a job. For those of us mortals listening in from outside of the impact investing sector, I wanted to know why such an obvious strategy hadn't been deployed previously. And James, what do you think are the conditions which mean that those sort of thematic, this might be one for you as well, Kirill, or Helen, if you want to jump in, but the the conditions to allow for those sort of more thematic funds or products to develop, how come it's matured in that way and, and why weren't those available, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, it's a very good question. Sustainable investing has been growing both from the supply and demand side. We've had increased proportion of pension funds and large fund managers exploring how to create more sustainable portfolios. The launch of the UN principles for responsible investment in 2006 Mm -hmm. resulted in a dramatic increase in the proportion of fiduciary investors who were looking at this through a risk lens. And that then stimulated the asset management industry. Then over the last five to 10 years, you've had a really strong growth 
in thematic approaches, which are funds and strategies that are seeking to outperform based on particular themes or solving particular problems, for example, education technology or healthcare, and obviously climate change, renewable energy, clean tech has been an absolutely massive theme. So there have been a lot more opportunities in the themes that are aligned with charities' missions. So now that that choice of product is is available where it wasn't before. So James talked very much about the supply side of the equation, but if you think about the demand piece, you know, previously there had been a few barriers to adoption of this kind of philosophy, and you know one was legal uncertainty. Charity trustees asking themselves am I able to do this, to invest in this way? In most parts of the world, certainly in the US and the UK, there's been endorsement of this slightly different style of considering capital and how it's allocated if you are a foundation or an endowment. And the second was lack of confidence on the returns. If I do invest in this more mission-related way, is it going to deliver the desirable financial and or social returns that I'm looking for. And I think we've come a long way in both of those. And of course, more data is extremely helpful. More disclosure is really helpful. And as the whole industry matures, we're starting to actually see what the returns profiles have looked like. Then that's attracting more attention across the the charitable sector. If I also may add a little bit, there was also a pressure on the fund management industry because today we are basically competing with passives and ETFs, which are low-cost strategies, and you can replicate pretty much anything with them. So therefore, as fund managers who charge a fee for actively managed funds, we have to offer something extra. And as I say, you could pretty much replicate anything with ETF or factor investing But you can't, for example, ask an ETF to engage with company or deliver something else which is which goes beyond, you know, just pure investment based on some factors and raw financial metrics. What was the kind of journey in terms of communicating this idea? I know it's probably something that's been been bubbling around for a while at board level and then actually kind of taking the first steps to, to, to making that happen as well. This has been a long-held ambition, certainly, of um, Rebecca, our CEO, and some of our trustees since the time that UFI in its current form came into existence. But as you mentioned, 20 years, sort of in the early 2000s, when I first started working in what we now call impact investing, I don't think this would have been possible. And perhaps in 2010, 2011, 2012, when UFI first started thinking about it, it was still pretty unusual to think in this way. The, the journey UFO has been on is, is quite impressive. But I think what's, what's innovative and exciting to me, because I really do think it'll have an impact on the marketplace in general, it, it's just a very different way of thinking. I mean, you could imagine that the, the anti-cancer society, the Cancer Research Trust that might be endowed with all sorts of money, investing in cigarettes to make money, to then give away to someone to figure out how to, you know, how to cure lung cancer. You know, that doesn't make sense. And that's kind of what's happening. So the new way of thinking, which is what's so great about UFI and demonstrates their commitment to innovation in the broader sense, is to say, why don't we take our capital 
and invest it to try and further our mission as best as we can. You know, that may not sound pretty obvious to the person in the street, but it's radical within their peer group. That's nearly all for this episode. But before we go, if this has whet your appetite for big ideas in impact investing and skills-based edtech, here's some of our guests with their reading recommendations and thoughts on what to immerse yourselves in next. Yeah, I think one of the key points is the onus is starting to reverse for fiduciary institutions where beforehand it was like, well, can you prove to me that you can outperform with these strategies and then we'll consider putting our endowment into them? And I think now what we're seeing is a reversal of that is that the returns to sustainable investing have been just as good as traditional portfolios. And now a fiduciary, a trustee of a, of a foundation would be more likely to ask, why, why wouldn't we do this? Why would we want our portfolio to be exposed to climate risk? Or why wouldn't we want to be leveraging education technology as a megatrend because it's growing so fast? So I think the mainstreaming of this agenda is one of the most uh, powerful things. And and yes, as, as I say, I, I teach a course for family officers and inheritors from from very wealthy families. And they are recognizing now that it is really the financial arguments which are often the strongest and the risk mitigation arguments for doing this, which really flips uh, this whole sector, which used to be called the ethical investment industry because it was more about morals and and, uh, values. But now actually it's it is about that as well, but it is also about just a financial performance of portfolios and risk management requires the incorporation of sustainability and the leveraging of these megatrends in healthcare and education and uh, such things. So I think the Impact Management Project have done an extraordinary job of creating a framework that helps people to think about the impact of enterprises and the impact of investments um, and build out a kind of common language. So that, you know, when we had that very early trustees away day, actually we could talk through a system of thinking about the impact of all investments and this idea that all investments have impact, but we're trying to have a positive impact. And actually we're trying to we're trying to use our capital in places that adds to the impact that's being created rather than just buying into impact that would have been created anyway. But that kind of messy stuff that can really um, become a bit kind of technical and geeky and at the same time lose people, I think the the work that the Impact Management Project's done on on that is really strong in helping give a a framework that everyone can kind of get their head around. And it works for for early stage ventures and the way we think about the impact of uh, of those businesses, and it worked for a large publicly listed edtech fund. So, how does this fit into other innovations in vocational learning and technology? I think it fits in at the level of how do we change the kind of system and the environment in in which those innovations work. So, in our Voctech Seed grant call, we're looking for people taking technology and building proof of concept demonstrators of how a problem in vocational learning can be fixed with a technology solution. What we're trying to do here is think about, well, what innovative approaches to the way 
money is used and the way funds are put together, can we can we apply to make the environment for VocTech more favorable? So those those two things in many respects seem a low, long, long way away. But if we invest in an ed tech fund, if we invest in a fund that's about cybersecurity, if we invest in a fund that's about gender equality, actually what we're trying to do is promote the conditions in which innovators with novel demonstrators in this year's seed call can take those on to scale and, and scale them in an environment that's that's more favorable to good vocational learning outcomes because there's companies, because there's employers who value the kind of things that we know are important. There has been a tremendous amount written in recent years on sustainable investing and Credit Suisse has a section on our website where we post our reports. It's creditsuisse.com slash responsible investing. The Global Impact Investing Network has really good publications and there's an organization for family offices called theimpact.org, which has a really good resource library of publications as well. And really just Googling, depending on your own context, if you're a charity or a foundation, there are entire organizations like the Intentional Endowments Coalition in the United States, which are constantly publishing thought leadership pieces on how to implement a sustainable and impact strategy for endowments and foundations. So there's really a lot out there. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, Helen, do you have any other? Yes. Well, particularly for your UK audience, we have our own social impact investing institute. It's known as the Impact Investing Institute in the UK. And that has a wealth of interesting articles and advice on how to bring a culture of social impact to investors here. Great. And Kirill? Well, I would say that there are quite a lot of passionate CEOs in the industry. So I know you've interviewed the CEO to you. Another one would be good is Czech. And if you listen to any of their, of their recent or pretty much any quarterly calls with analysts, they do talk about pretty much all of those subjects regularly. Specifically, as I, said, as I mentioned, Czech, very passionate about this whole idea of learning to earn. And in fact, I borrowed the title to the support from him. It's the, uh, the term that CEO of Czech uses. They're talking about how their students get in jobs much faster if they, for example, went to their boot camps, etc., Others in the industry, like, you know, Grand Canyon, you listen to them. And again, they're talking about the uh, medical degrees and how they can offer cheaper solutions than uh, pretty much anybody else in the industry and why it is important because of the current state of the uh, U.S. student debt and, you know, indebtedness level of students upon graduation, etc., Plus, we ourselves, we publish our thematic insights regularly on the subject. Fantastic. Thank you. And I know in your report, you referenced the sustainable development goal, which was goal four, target four, which says by 2030, substantially increase the number of youth and adults who have relevant skills, including technical and vocational skills for employment, decent jobs and entrepreneurship. So I liked that level of detail and, and actually digging into the skills piece as well. If you're a high net worth individual, I think is the right phrase these days, but anyway, someone with a lot of money individually, 
there's something called Tonic, and that is a an organization which specializes in helping high net worths and the family offices and the like invest their money alongside their personal values and mission. If you're in that's an, that's an international organization. It's it's based in the United States. If you're in the United Kingdom and you are a trust or foundation, the Social Impact Investment Group, SIG, is a really good resource. So, for example, that's I think of where Rebecca really started her journey. If that makes sense. Yeah. If you're a faith-based investor, then the Church Investment Group is again very helpful for institutional faith-based investors. I have to disclose a vested interest, but Snowball Investment Management is an interesting group that I founded alongside a couple of others, James Perry and Alexander Hall. And that's a specialist in investment manager and have published some interesting stuff. The GIN Network, Global Impact Investment Network. Apparently, that's one of the reasons Tonic was called Tonic, because it was just a joke because there was GIN. <laughs> and GIN's more for institutions. And uh, tonic is more for families. Anyway, so there's gin and tonic. And then there's a, just there's a whole slew. So if you, another one is the Charities Responsible Investment Network in the United Kingdom. Joe, if people are listening in and getting very excited about what they're hearing, how should they connect with you? Which parts of what UFI are doing can they potentially get involved if they want to sort of support the work of UFI's mission as well? I think there's two ways f- from my perspective. The, f- the firstly, the, if you're an early stage venture working in tech or perhaps more widely in, in the sort of future of work arena, love to hear from you. We, we make uh, early stage investments throughout the year. The, the other way is that in 2021, the sort of future of work is a very, very hot topic as our working lives have been changed so much by the pandemic, but but actually they were changing a little more slowly anyway. A number of investors are looking at issues around the future of work, automation, etc. We clearly care a lot about that, and we, we're keen to work with and get to know other investors interested in that field and, and to collaborate where all working for a future of work that's advancing technology, but it also is really, really good for people at work and people trying to get into work. So love to hear from other funders and investors in that respect. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much to all of the guests in this week's episode. If you're listening in from the US or from another country around the world, get in touch to tell us how this sits with foundation and investment work where you are. In other news, UFI Voctech Trust have been working on their Voctech Challenge, which is a process of discovery and research with sector colleagues to identify and tackle some of the biggest challenges in workplace learning with an open mind. A green paper capturing the conversations which have taken place to date comes out in mid-March 2021 and all vocational learning and technology community types are invited to submit comments and ideas during the consultation period which closes on Friday the 26th of March. So do get involved. Our next upcoming episodes on the EdTech podcast are on well-being and on optimising university processes. So if you've got something to say on these topics, do leave a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash the EdTech podcast. But until then, that really is it for this week. Stay safe, everyone, and check back in soon. Bye bye.